Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we come before you this day um, asking you to bless us. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart uh, be acceptable to you, our God and King. Amen. Uh, friends, we are uh, started a new sermon series called Getting Back to the Grind. And we're looking at uh, when we get back into our routines, uh, sometimes we can have certain feelings, uh, like feeling overwhelmed, feeling disconnected, feeling insignificant, uh, feeling anxious. And so today, um, <clears throat> we're kind of trying to see how the Bible addresses those feelings and what we can learn from the Bible. Last week, we looked at feeling overwhelmed. Uh, feeling overwhelmed uh, sometimes feels like you're drowning. Uh, the ground underneath our feet is moving, is shifting, and we feel like we're not going to make it. And we looked at the story of Esther, who, was, uh, who experienced what it means to be overwhelmed. Uh, the king at that time uh, was King Xerxes, uh, and he was a superpower. He ruled from uh, Egypt to India. His uh, rule was expansive. Uh, no one dared to disobey him. Um, but his king, uh, his queen, disobeyed him, and so she quickly was dethroned. Uh, she was, uh, and then another queen was chosen uh, out of 400 women, uh, and it was Esther. Um, we read, uh, we learned that she gained favor for those who were responsible uh, for the queen, uh, and finally she won over the heart of the king as well. And Esther belonged to this family uh, that was taken into captivity uh, when as uh, enslaved and taken away by Babylonians uh, and when they conquered Jerusalem. And she and her family lived there. Um, and we were told about Mordecai, who was a righteous man, who took care of Esther. He gave her good counsel, uh, and he cared for her because she was orphaned. A man named uh, Haman got into a disagreement with Mordecai, and his hate for Mordecai was so great that he just didn't want to kill him, but he wanted to kill the entire Jewish people. He wanted them to be eliminated. And Mordecai learns about this plot, uh, and he goes to Esther seeking that she would advocate on behalf uh, of her people. And at that time, we see that Esther was overwhelmed by the task that was ahead of her. One of the things that Esther does is she calls for the people of God to pray, to fast and pray. And those are the lessons that we learn from her. And after she fasts and prays, she realizes that she has been brought into that position for such a time as this. And she uses her time, her place, her place of influence to bring relief to the people of God. So that was what we learned. Uh, no matter how big a mountain that you were facing, um, that God will give you the courage to conquer is what we learned uh, last week. And this morning, we're looking at feeling disconnected. Being disconnected is something that we all experience uh, at one time or the other. Um, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking about all our uh, seniors who have gone off to college. You know, starting a new venture in their life. They're trying to make sense of their own identity, find a place find their place in a new community. I'm terrified thinking about our young people who are all by themselves, you know? They're living with complete strangers. Uh, their parents who cared for them for 18 years are no longer there with them. 
You know, how are they going to navigate? Who are they going to sit with in the cafeteria? How are they going to make connections? Right? This is terrifying to all parents. Right? God have mercy. I'm not going to, I'm trying not to make this about me, but I can't imagine our Samira going to college in four years. I'm going to be a mess. You know, you all need to talk me off the ledge. Right? Or she might just move into the parsonage basement and, you know, and everything will be good. So anyway, right, feeling disconnected. Feeling disconnected is something that we all experience, whether you're a freshman um, in college uh, or whether you started a new job and you feel like all your colleagues are going out on Thursday nights and you're not quite sure if you should go or not. Or they're all going out to lunch and you're not sure. You know, we, sometimes we can experience this even at a church as well. When we're at church, Sometimes it feels like an old family reunion and you're the new person at the table, right? We can feel very disconnected. And when we feel disconnected in that way, uh, one of the things that we do, tend to do, is we like to fade away in the background. We don't like to be seen. We like to kind of say, you know what, I'm just going to take my place here and I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to just sit back and watch it from a distance. When we feel that way, we feel like we think we are alone. We think we are alone. And the more we feel we are alone, and the more we isolate ourselves, we keep going further and further away from being feeling like we are part of a community. And it's easy for us to do that. And this morning, I want to look at the scriptures and wondering if you might be feeling alone today. If you might be feeling disconnected. And to look at what the scriptures would teach uh, for us today. This morning, um, the scriptures that was read to us uh, is from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and I want to share another story from the book of Acts as well. And these two talk about what individuals did when they were disconnected. The story that was read to us this morning is about a woman who pours an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, um, we read the same story um, that she, that this woman was actually wiping Jesus' feet uh, with her tears. She was just sobbing at the feet of Jesus after pouring this oil um, on him. The woman who's identified here um, in the story, even though she's not named, but many within the church call her Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene has been portrayed as a sinful woman. Um, the Oxford Dictionary actually identifies her or defines her as a reformed prostitute. You know, the Mary Magdalene, uh, the minute you say it, we think of being someone who is a promiscuous woman. I have no idea why the origins of this story are uh, in this manner. Uh, but also, we can also see this um, in uh, our culture as well. And, and some of you have read The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. Uh, in that book as well, Mary Magdalene is portrayed uh, in the same uh, light as well. I think the reason for this is in Luke 7, we read that um, uh, the woman who anoints Jesus was a sinful woman. In Mark 14, uh, we don't see that, but in Luke, we see that reference. And then when you re read Luke 8, uh, starting in verse 1, this is what we read. And I think this is where the connection comes in. After this, so after Mary anointed Jesus, uh, after this woman poured this expensive uh, perfume on Jesus, this is what Luke is telling us. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, 
proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. Two, uh, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Jesus' ministry was being funded by a bunch of women uh, in the New Testament. And so the connection kind of comes into play is this woman who was not named earlier had some money, right? And she was able to spend this money on Jesus by pouring this perfume on it. And later we see that one of those women is Mary Magdalene. So I think that's the connection uh, that is kind of tied into that as well. So Mary Magdalene was financially supporting the ministry of Jesus. Mary Magdalene um, was a rich, not only a rich woman, but she had possession of something that was very, very expensive. I love what, how Mark tells this story, uh, and that's the reason I wanted to look at Mark's uh, story. In verse 9, this is what Jesus tells. After Mary takes this perfume, pours it on Jesus, and this is what Jesus declares or proclaims. I tell you, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are, talking about this woman. How many sermons have you heard about Simon the leper? Anybody? Right? But the minute I say Mary Magdalene, we all think about this. This scripture that was read today um, is read every time we go through uh, the, Lent, the period of Lent. Because right after this story is told, Jesus heads towards the cross. So I want to look at what this woman did. Because I think what this woman did is absolutely amazing. All right? Let's not take the story for granted. So this is what's happening. Let me set up the scene. Jesus is reclining at the table. Jesus is reclining at the table. He is, that means Jesus eating. Jesus is eating at Simon the leper's house. I'm guessing Simon the leper, that's his name. He didn't quite have leprosy. If he did, he would have been in isolation. So anyway, so that is where he is. Jesus is at this guy's house. He's eating dinner. He's in Bethany, where he knew a lot of people. Jesus stopped in Bethany every time he was about to enter Jerusalem. So there was Jesus at Simon the leper's house, reclining at the table and eating. Right. At the Last Supper, we see the same scene. Jesus is reclining at the table and breaking bread with his disciples. But no one barged in. No one walked into that room. And here, here this woman walks in uninvited. Uninvited. Right? Again, we hear, we see the signs of patriarchy playing out again. Like, no one tells this woman, oh, think, oh wow, you're here. Come on in, take, take, a, take a seat at the table. You know, we just started eating. Let's, let's break bread together. No. No one talks to her about that. She just walks in, takes in this expensive perfume, and puts it on Jesus' head. 
And I'm amazed when that happens, right? I'm amazed, I'm shocked that everybody in that room knew how much it cost. Right? Everybody was, knew how much it cost. It cost over a year's worth of wage. And everybody is mad at her. Everyone looked at her indignantly, meaning they were furious at what she did. And not one person, right? Like not one person in this room talks about how it smelled. If it was an expensive perfume, I mean, can you tell me how it smelled? Right? If you knew about this perfume, why couldn't you describe about how it smelled? But rather, both in Luke and in Mark, they're upset with the actions of this woman. They judged her for her actions. She had one goal. This woman had just one goal. She wanted to be with Jesus. She knew Jesus was in town. She knew no one invited her. And she said, I'm going anyway. I'm going to go do this extraordinary thing to show my love to Jesus and my dedication to him. Friends, when we're feeling isolated, when we feel like we are not invited or we don't belong, our tendency is to withdraw. We tend to keep to ourselves. And this morning, I want to challenge you that if you're feeling that way, learn from this woman. Walk into the room where Jesus is so that you can be by him. One of the ways that we can do this is by joining a small group, which where we, much like the gospel story, are going to be sitting around our table, and Jesus is present. And when you walk into the room, it doesn't matter who you are or how much you know about the Bible. It doesn't matter if you are a young Christian or you've been in church all your life. One thing's going to be different from what this story was. When you walk in, when you take that courageous step to say, I want to be connected to Jesus by joining a small group, we'll ask you to pull up a chair and join the conversation so that we can all be connected to Jesus and each other. Another story I'd like to share with you um, about being disconnected comes from Acts chapter 11, verse 25. This is what we read. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Here's a crazy story about Paul who is referred in this story as Saul. After Jesus was crucified and he was buried and rose again, um, after 40 days at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the church began to grow like wildfire. People started to confessing Jesus as Lord, as Yahweh, as the living God. And a few weeks ago, I preached about a sermon called, We're All One in Christ, in the and the challenges some of the Jewish Christians were facing at that time. Do we first become a Jew in order to become a Christian? Or can we just become Christians? Prior to that controversy, there was another one. That was, how can you confess Jesus as God, as Yahweh? And when you do that, 
That's wrong, is what some believed. And this young man named Saul, he was extremely learned in the Holy Scriptures, and he was outraged that Jesus and Yahweh were one, and he wanted to kill everyone who called themselves Christian. He's actually the first one to witness the death of a Christian martyr as well. His name was Saul. He was zealous for this cause, and he wanted to kill Christians. And then Christ encounters Saul, and his life is turned around. And, this, and people don't believe that Saul actually changed, that Saul actually became a Christian and was following Jesus, right? There was a lot of people who were suspicious about him. And this is what we read in Acts 9, uh, verses 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that, they, that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how on his journey he had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoke to him, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of God. He talked and debated with Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down, to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. We later learned that Saul might have spent about three years in Tarsus. You give your life to Christ and you start debating Hellenistic Jews, meaning those Jews who are uh, familiar with the Greek language and culture, and they tried to kill you and you are sent away for three years. You have no contact with other Christian community. You apply yourself and during this time, Peter and James and others are kind of the key figures who are spreading the gospel. And Saul is all by himself, completely disconnected to the Christian community. Look at what Barnabas does. He does this twice. Right after Paul's conversion, he brings Paul, Saul to the community in Jerusalem, to the believers in Jerusalem. And after he was sent away to Tarsus, he goes looking for Saul. He went looking for Saul. Friends, this morning I want to ask us to be like Barnabas. We need to start looking for people who are feeling disconnected in our community, in our Christian community. Do you know who can benefit from being part of a Christian community called Mount Hope? Where we pray for each other, where we learn from the Bible, where we break bread together. May you be like Barnabas. It's easy for us to say, well, I did invite so-and-so to come to church and they didn't come. Barnabas did it twice. He didn't give up. If Barnabas didn't do what he did, we would not have a good majority of the New Testament Go looking for, fill in the blanks. Whose name is God placing on your heart this morning? Who do you need to talk to to go and say, hey, why don't you come join us? Come be part of our community. Friends, your invitation can have a significant impact on a person's life and their family. 
when you're feeling disconnected and someone reaches out to you, you will make them feel like they are a million dollars. So this morning I ask you these questions. Are you feeling disconnected to this community called Mount Hope? I want you to take a stand. I want you to walk in to that small group and the table is set and a chair will be drawn for you just like this woman did. And we promise you we won't look upon you with indignity but rather we'll ask you to pull up a chair and break bread with us. Friends, is God calling you this morning to invite someone into our community? Much like Barnabas did. May we hear the Spirit of God moving here, calling us to act. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this courageous woman who walked into a room to show how much she loved you, to be connected to you. God, we are grateful for those Barnabas in our lives who have extended an invitation to us to come to the table to be with you. God, help us to live out these truths in this church called Mount Hope. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.